Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Come on, show me the magic. Can I take you out to the picture? Well, I hope you'll come and see me in the movies. What a scene of your Hollywood song. Hello, and welcome to the Beatles Films Podcast. I'm Matt Looker. I'm Ed Williamson. We're both professional film writers and Fab Four fans, and each week we discuss a different movie about, starring, or inspired by the Beatles. This week, that film is 2007's Across the Universe, a jukebox musical directed by Julie Taymor. Jim Sturgis and Evan Rachel Wood star as Jude and Lucy, two Ringo star-crossed lovers, <laughs> traversing the joys and tribulations of a super stylized and somewhat condensed 60s setting whilst belting out the Beatles at every opportunity. Uh, I'm assuming that, like me, you think that there's a bit of a mixed bag to discuss here. I think that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. Good. Uh, but one thing I wanted to cover off right away is uh, sort of an overall question that always bugs me about this type of film, this type of jukebox musical, uh, which is, is it problematic for um, songs that have been written with a particular meaning in mind to then get co-opted and repurposed to serve a completely different narrative? What do you think? And how well do you think the songs were are actually used in this story and, and how they serve that story? I think uh, the, the the broad answer to your question is yes. <laughs> yes, it is problematic. Well, yes, I think I think it can be. I think there are uh, when you do a jukebox musical, it's always with the blessing of the artists, you know. And uh, I, I speak as a man who uh, has seen uh, the stage version of "We Will Rock You" within the last week. Wow! And um, so you know, I'm bringing experience. <laughs> and, this is uh, this is your one comparative <laughs> note. <laughs> yeah. It's, and uh, yeah, I've expensed it as a uh, research process. <laughs> um, but um, with uh, We Will Rock You, the songs and the singing, absolutely fantastic. The story, absolutely awful. 
Um, really? Yeah. And, and you see, this is the thing with jukebox musicals in general, is that because the songs already exist, um, whoever is writing the book has to write the story in which to shoehorn the songs. Yeah. So there are good and bad examples. So I really enjoyed. Did you see Sunshine on Leith, the proclaimed yes. one? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Loved it. Yeah. It, it, absolutely brilliant. And they worked the songs in really well. There are limitations to it, you know, but like at some point someone has to go to America so they can send a letter back from there. <laughs> um, and someone has to, well, actually, no, nobody literally walked 500 miles. You know, they managed to do that with a metaphor. But it, this is how, this is how they're done. You know, yeah. it, it, it has to be, has to be done that way. So I think what you end up with is a, a thing where the story is guided by the, the existing content that they need to cram in there. Because also you have to do the hits. It's no, it's no use finding an obscure B side that, <laughs> yes, exactly. that fits the story perfectly and thinking, oh yeah, I'll, I'll stick that in because nobody wants to hear it. You know? Yeah. Uh, so but on the basis then that, uh, the same approach sometimes works well and sometimes doesn't. Where do you think? How, how you know? How does this film fare in that, and why? Uh, I think it, it, it is. Uh, I think it works pretty well in general. Um, what you've got is a is a uh, what they put it into is a story about uh, the sixties. I suppose mm. it, in a sense, it's trying to tell the story of the sixties in microcosm through a few characters. So you yeah. you, you do start off. With people sort of dancing in in dance halls and things, uh, you know, and then along comes uh, the civil rights movement, and along comes you know so psychedelia and flower power and all that kind of stuff. So you know they, they are trying, and, and they're fitting the Beatles songs into that fairly well. And and the interesting is the thing is sort of fa- fairly chronologically as well. Yeah, in that which makes sense because we associate the Beatles songs. Uh, with that period of time, mm. you know, you can't think about. I, I, well, I can't think about 1967 without thinking about Sergeant Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour. You know, 1967. You know, of course, also the year of the the riots in Detroit and things like that. You know, and so I remember seeing the film Detroit and thinking, was this happening in 1967? People were like rioting in the street. I thought everyone was sitting in fields taking LSD. <laughs> you know, yeah, uh, because it's so completely at odds. Because because my whole uh, for better or worse, probably worse. Uh, my whole understanding of 1960s history is is through the Beatles. <laughs> That's the prism through which I see it. Um, so I think, yeah, broadly broadly speaking, it it, it fits them in pretty well. Um, and there are some that are shoehorned in. Some are done less well than others. I, I think I have a bit of an issue with, um, with with the idea, even with this film, which I did broadly enjoy. Again, because in a similar way we talked about yesterday, um, what's not to like when someone suddenly starts bursting into a, a, a Beatles song? Yeah. Like it's you know, as fans, it's um, it's it's always quite enjoyable, mm-hmm. um, if not just interesting. Um, but I I do find myself, and maybe I'm like my own worst enemy in this situation, but I find myself um, questioning. Uh, the the authenticity of the lyrics that are being sung at that particular time and what they mean to that character. Yes. Because quite often what you have is, in this film in particular, is um, a broad sense of meaning uh, that's applied to the song and then when you get down to the bare bones of individual lines in the lyrics, mm. they, they don't necessarily ring true for what the character might be singing about at that time. Yes. So I think when we were talking about 
or when you're talking about how sometimes this works and sometimes it doesn't i think sometimes it, it, it can work um my my um i was thinking along the lines of things like mamma mia and rock of ages where i feel like the songs are probably simpler and probably um have uh and can be uh can be used more flexibly um because they broadly convey one emotion at a time quite often right or one uh, particular um sentiment um Whereas I think the slum of the, the Beatles, the lyrics can be quite complicated, mm-hmm. complex. So suddenly you have, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Um, when Jude first meets Max and uh, the pair of them have like a, a night out in the town with Max's other mates who are never seen again. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they they do that to the tune of with a little help for my friends. Yeah. So that that kind of makes sense because they're friends, yep. right? Yep. Right. I don't necessarily know if it's a. Um, I don't necessarily know if either of those characters are in a position where they're, uh, it, where it's suggested that they need support from a group of friends at that point. Mm. But the I think the idea isn't as complicated isn't more complicated than just here are some friends and this song has friends in the title. Mm. But then you have moments in that in that sequence where you have Max who at that point is just someone who wants to have a good time with his mates singing the lines um, um, I need somebody to love yeah which which is not isn't something story. no yeah, no exactly yeah, and and, and that happens a lot throughout the film I think where yeah. I and again I might be just being ridiculously bad at pedantic but I feel like that's an issue that I have a lot with these this kind of film where uh, I get taken out of the film a little bit where I feel like that's not necessarily true of the character at that moment in that time. Yeah, uh, I think there are probably two two ways in which not just jukebox musicals, although this is more specific to that, uh, musicals in general use songs. Uh, the first one is to convey no, what well, not to convey dialogue. It is not suggesting that. Uh, obviously there is suspension of disbelief involved that's fine but like they're not suggesting that these are the words that these characters are saying to each other in a conversation but they are using the song to convey the um the the upshot of that conversation uh, yeah the broad strokes of it and um so with a little help from my friends the way that's used which by the way i think is one of the one of the most successful uses of, of songs in the film. I mm-hmm. think I think that's done really well, especially because halfway through they go into the Joe Cocker version. Yes, yeah, that's back good, to the Beatles it? version, yeah. which is a, a really lovely surprise and really well done. Um, there are bits in it where uh, I think Max sings, "What do you uh, uh, would you believe in a love at first sight?" Jude is like in the pool hall and he's looking at a girl and he says and he sings, "Yeah, I'm certain that it happens all the time." So yeah. like they, they are. Playing off the the, the lyrical yeah, meaning, yeah, yeah. And, and sorry, I started by saying there are two ways to say it, yeah, so, yeah. and then forgot that. Uh, the second way is that uh, it's sort of done through montage, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yes. So what, sure. what what that song is conveying is that these people are uh, the, these guys are making friends, mm-hmm. and so this is what um, songs are employed to do in jukebox musical well musicals in general, but jukebox musicals specifically is um, they're taking the characters from one state of affairs in their relationship or whatever to another. So what what happens a lot um, is uh, using a song 
as an argu- a couple has an argument or they've already had an argument and then they make up through yeah. song that happens in Sunshine on Leith with uh, Then I Met You the Proclaimers song so mm-hmm. they've, they've had an argument then they make up through song um, and so w- what is it, it's a sort of narrative shorthand in a way so it's yeah. kind of ta- taking them from one place to another through songs so that's kind of what, what that one's doing and I think I think with a little help from my friends I think it does it quite successfully and I don't think you're being pedantic because I have the same thought about it mm. but I think it is a question of not hanging your hat on the idea that would these characters really say these things to each other yes yeah let me give you another example <laughs> <laughs> you've been waiting for that <laughs> I have, yeah. Minutes, okay. but yeah, yeah. <laughs> no but I I, I I appreciate what you're saying and uh, and I think um, there is a, I, I think you know I would admit that I think there is a level of pedantry I think um, but it's not necessarily about whether or not a character would say something at that time yeah. or, or whether or not they would use those words at that time. Yeah. It's that certain lines convey a meaning that don't apply to that character at right, that time. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the... I, I I don't know where I land on this, if I'm honest with you. I'd be interested to hear your thoughts. But one of the um, potentially controversial uses uh, in... Uh, with, when we're talking about this particular issue is when Jude sings Revolution because that happens at a time when um, he uh, he he sort of had, reaches a, a turning point with his relationship with Lucy Lucy is spending all of her time with a protest group um, and not making time for their relationship he's had enough and he storms into their office and confronts the group and the leader of that group, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and he does so singing "Revolution," yep, um, which is a little bit on the nose uh, because that's what they're doing. But yes, that's the point of the film. Yeah. The 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 question I have is there is um, quite famously already a debate about um, when John Lennon wrote that song whether he was in favour or not of using violence as a means of protest. Yeah. Right. So the the, the lyric. Um, Don't you know that you can count me out? Stroke in. Stroke in. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, what's the line before that? When you can talk about this, when you talk about destruction, oh uh, yeah, yeah. When you talk about destruction, don't you know you can count me out? In um, uh, Jude um, sings that line. Don't you know when you talk about destruction, you can count me out? Doesn't do the in part, mm-hmm. um, implying that has, how how John Lennon meant it that um, he doesn't agree with violence as a form of protest. Yeah, Jude sings that line. And then immediately decks the guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. And you don't think that's a pacifist approach? To I, I just don't. I, I feel like you know, the juxtaposition of the line and the action yeah. creates a bit of a problem for me when I'm thinking about that. And and yeah. I'm only thinking about it in terms of you know I brought with uh, with me to the viewing of that scene mm. a knowledge of um, of of what that song was written about. But I I do wonder whether or not that is that that should be considered an issue like mm. you know we're separating art from artists and we're getting into like you know a bit more of a you know a bit of a heavy debate about all that stuff but mm. it, it again it's one of those things that kind of takes me out the film a little bit because it leaves me questioning whether or not that is um in potentially bad taste right okay yeah i mean like revolution's a, a good example um i think because actually like when that song when he comes in and starts singing that song mm. uh, they just had that argument in the laundrette I think and then he comes yeah. in you know and like the first line is like well you say you want a revolution well you know we all want to change the world that fits perfectly yes absolutely um, yeah. and, and then of course 
um, it, it has to become more broad brush because these are not words that people would say to one another. The best bit, by the way, is um, when he gets to, like quite near the end of him singing it. So he's basically, he's in this office and everyone's saying, get this guy out of here. And he's just causing a, a big fuss and stuff. And then he throws open uh, a door yep. to a room in which he's never been in his life that has a picture of Chairman Mao. <laughs> I know. <laughs> says, I knew this. If you go carrying pictures of Chairman Mao, <laughs> like, I love the idea yeah. that he's like, Oh god! I've got this great thing to say about Chairman Mao. I hope there's a picture of Chairman Mao on the on the wall of this room that I've never seen. Yeah, uh, but but that's the, that's the thing. It's like you can take these things. I, I I don't think you're taking it too literally. I know exactly what you mean. Like, yeah, I, I, that these it does require suspension of disbelief, as I say. But it, it but then suspension of disbelief is so much easier when something is done well, right? Yes, you know? yes, exactly that. Yeah, because it, it, musical in general is a medium that calls attention to its own artifice yeah because characters are singing uh, in, in a way that nobody would in real life they would say the things they're saying you know and i think that's why you know you kind of have to invest in in the idea that these are not conversations they're having i know that's not the argument you're making no but um but i mean the, the, the only reason that this has really occurred to you is because it, it will be because of a a flaw in the way it's done. Yeah, I agree. I agree if, with that. It, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't, you would you would just go along with it. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And, and I do think that um, uh, when we're talking about other films that have done this well, um, I do think that uh, is it the, the because the lyrics have a bit more nuance to them, uh, and they they aren't always just a, a um, broad brushstroke of one particular emotion that can be applied to any situation yeah um much like i think the the earlier songs are used very well in that and in, mm. in, in earlier on in the film because they can be applied like that you know it's very much like right. you know here's a story about a girl i you know if i fell in love with you it's very much uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um yeah. those are very simple um let me give you another example <laughs> <laughs> no i've got one more Right. That, again I felt was problematic for a very a different reason okay. but I feel like it's also illustrative of the same point but for you know like I say for a different reason the use of Blackbird in the song right. occurs when Lucy is mourning her relationship with Jude mm-hmm. because they have they've broken back they've broken up as a result of this altercation uh, Jude has been deported um, back to Liverpool yeah um, and Max has returned home from fighting the Vietnam War, mm-hmm. presumably with some level of um, uh, PTSD. All that's <laughs> I mean, very so much underserved in the film. Yeah, he gets over that pretty quickly. Very much so. Yeah, yeah. He gets over it with the line, everything below the neck works fine. Yeah. Is, yeah, is yeah, literally yeah. the line that he has to throw away whatever it is, what mental health issues he's left with after, suffer, after witnessing the, the huge atrocities of what he's just had to go through. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so those those are where those two characters are, are at at that moment in the film. Um, so Lucy is mourning her relationship with Jude. Max is, um, I, I guess, re- recovering from this, this huge ordeal he's got over. And they sing Blackbird, or rather Lucy sings Blackbird. Mm-hmm. A song specifically written about the civil rights movement. Well, yeah, I mean, Paul always claims that. I, 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 I do not think. Well, no, I mean, I, no, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but, <laughs> but I do. I, I sometimes I kind of suspect that's just a song he wrote, and then later on came up with a narrative. To oh, do you think? Okay. I don't know. But Interesting. Yeah, maybe. You know. Okay. Well, I mean, that changes my argument a little bit. But, I, okay, but again, let's I, give him the benefit of the doubt. If we, gave, if yeah. we did give him the benefit of the doubt, that again feels like that that song has. Uh, a, a quite a powerful 
uh, emotional meaning attached to it mm. that to then being co-opted for completely different narrative without really I guess any any lyrical um, connection to their situations other than the fact that it's a bit of a sad song and they're yeah. a bit sad yeah, yeah you yeah. know um, so again it's just it, it, it tonally it works but I'm left thinking is this is this right is it right that that you know uh, an artist's work can be sort of repurposed in this way by by someone else yeah, yeah. That, that is all I will say on the matter now I feel like I've, I've, got, any more examples I've got I've got plenty <laughs> oh, I've got plenty but um, I, I do I do agree with it so Blackbird is not a song that is fitted particularly well into the whole thing mm. and it's kind of dealt with quite casually it, yeah it doesn't fit the scenario it hadn't really occurred to me that you know you're sort of co-opting this song that is about a very specific thing and using it for another very, very specific thing uh, but that is that is a fair point I think so Yes, fine. <laughs> you can have that one. <laughs> cool. Let me give you another... No, I don't. Um... Cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I think uh, what what is probably um, quite an obvious problem that the film has is that the characters aren't particularly well fleshed out. Yeah. So we have very thinly drawn characters in the film, and I think that um, when you, uh, I think a really obvious way of of that uh, being highlighted is if we were to take all the actual songs and sequences out of it mm. there's not really much story there there are yeah. sequences and events but the characters themselves don't necessarily uh, feel particularly three-dimensional the their motives aren't particularly clear uh, what happens in the events between the films don't necessarily feel like they're going on a particular arc no. or, or have learned anything like as a result of, of that journey they've been on um so um and and also it's worth pointing out that outside of Jude and Lucy the supporting characters particularly get quite short thrift in that sense yes very true but there are some crimes there i think that some of the that the film makes are particularly with in terms of i i, I think probably the worst one is uh, with prudence for me yep <laughs> do you know that yeah yes go on you explain what's the issue with prudence Prudence is a character who... So at the start, uh, we establish the characters of Jude and Lucy. Um, who are li- he, He's living in Liverpool. Um, she's living in America. Um, and then once we've kind of established them and what the journey they're going to go on, you cut very quickly to a cheerleader um, in... Uh, Ohio. Ohio, is it? Yeah, okay, yeah. so a, a school, school football field, just being a cheerleader. And then she starts to sing, I want to hold your hands. Uh, sort of mournfully uh, and it's a very slow version and it's perfectly well done 
but you're not given the indication of whose hand she wants to hold mm. um, or that you know the meaning of that so you know there's a sort of yearning for a, a, a specific person or anything like that um, it is uh, seems to be you just and then she leaves her uh, her small hometown and hitchhikes uh, off to New York as you find out later on uh, you but the, you then but when she goes off and hitchhikes you then don't see her for a good half hour or so mm-hmm. and she turns up um, she is a kind of supporting character is not given much to do until she locks herself in a bedroom uh, and then they have to sing Dear Prudence to get her out of the bedroom she then uh, disappears and someone says where's Prudence gone and someone says oh she'll be back and then she kind of turns up again near the end that's yeah. broadly it fair enough uh, but, but, but what what is um, the uh, I, I guess you know the subtext for her character because I don't think they ever explicitly explain what is going on there, right? But in that she, she's she, she falls she, in love with Sadie, right, 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 yeah, right, yeah. And and the reason she locks herself in the in the closet is uh, uh, literally in the closet. Goodness, <laughs> um, is uh, is is some sort of. Um, I guess emotional reaction to uh, that unrequited love that she feels that for the character of Sadie. Yeah. So they sing Dear Prudence to get her out of the closet. I think one of the problems with that is not only is the is the character um, uh, not very well drawn, um, given that she has quite an emotional story. She's you know she's defined by that emotion as opposed to uh, her being a character who has. Uh, who goes through an emotional um, uh, turn of events? The the song and the uh, oh sorry the scene feels like it's very specifically dictated by the song and what the story that we know that is attached to that song um, where uh, John Lennon wrote it for Prudence Farrow mm-hmm. when she when she herself locked herself in a room and come out when they were staying in India. Yeah. Um. So when you put all those things together, it feels like a a very sort of cheap, cheapened um, sequence yeah. um, that is actually trying to depict what is a huge emotional moment for a character. Doesn't feel like it. It, um, it it's again potentially poor taste. I think in terms of how that's uh, in terms of how that sequence un, unravels. Like I wouldn't say poor. So I, th- I think I think it's quite lazy that sequence because it is literally just taking the inspiration for the song and sort of recreating it and yeah. shoehorning the character into a scenario where that will happen. Um, like the story doesn't sort of value her. It doesn't really value any of the supporting characters really. No. Um, but but no, I don't think it's in poor taste necessarily. I mean, you know, if 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 Dear Prudence had been about some written about some genuine tragedy. Mm. Then yes, I could see I could see what you mean, but uh, but you know, it's written about someone not wanting to come out of a room, and it's just a bit lazy that they've applied it to the story of someone not wanting to come out of a room. And... Oh, I, but I, I guess I guess the reason why I wonder wonder if it's in poor taste uh, is that it feels like they've that the film has shoehorned in a lesbian storyline, mm-hmm. and it's potentially in poor taste that that has not really been developed beyond this rather sort of this, this rather cheap scene mm. that's entirely that exists entirely because they want to shoehorn that song song and that Prudence Sparrow story. They built they built this one scene around the song and the and the story. Yeah. 
and then out of that it feels like they've created a uh, a character um who is going through like a um uh you know struggling with her own sexuality mm-hmm. but the struggle isn't depicted well at all because right, it exists yeah. entirely in this one scene that yeah. exists only because they want to do the song and the and the locked room scenario that's a good point no I, I can see I can see more what you mean now damning with pain for me it's yeah, like yeah, oh, yeah. you've explained yourself better now so yeah, now yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, can, I can broadly see it <laughs> but I think that it, there are um, supporting characters in general as you say are given short shrift so, that it, that, so the Sadie character uh, so she has a relationship with a guy called Jojo mm. um, who is like the guitarist in her band and yeah. they, and essentially all they have to do in the whole thing is uh, they're in a band that looks like she's getting some record label interest. Um, he, uh, they have an argument on stage when they're playing Oh Darling in a way that makes no sense whatsoever. In what way does it make no sense? Uh, <laughs> uh, so as I was saying, generally speaking, what the songs are meant to do in a musical is to mirror a conversation that people are having mm. and so what happens is they're on stage she's singing uh, oh darling if you leave me and he starts going leave me what what are you talking about and like and he's like yeah. muttering to himself yeah. and he's taking exception to the lyrics she's singing uh, but I'm thinking no no but this this is an actual song that these characters are playing on a stage in the story I see it, this yes. is not a song yeah. that is being used to represent the conversation they have so why is it I mean presume you guys have rehearsed this right you've heard these words before yeah like he's, it's suddenly, like he's suddenly yeah. taking exception to them on the stage it's like what, what do you mean oh darling don't call me darling like, yeah, like, yeah, it's, yeah. It's just, it just really really gets the hump with the whole thing and uh, and then I think yeah she storms off stage and then so they're, they're kind of uh, broken up then and then a bit later on uh, they're just there's, the climax is they're sort of playing a gig on a rooftop uh, it's a hell of an idea I don't know where they got that from um, I, I, I think it's a really good point by the way I wanted to mention this that um, it feels like we've reached a bit of a landmark um, in uh, this is the fifth film that we are talking about the fifth episode that we recorded this podcast um, where we have carefully selected the films through quite a um, a, a rigorous process of judging what films to include in our podcast planning yeah. based on date that films are made um, genre type of film subject matter etc yeah. and yet this is the fifth film and out of those five films the third one that ends on a rooftop scene <laughs> <laughs> like we've started to already list out tropes that are specific to just Beatle films <laughs> you're right it didn't even occur to me um, but yeah they're um yeah, and then like playing a gig on a rooftop, and all, and he's just playing the guitar with her again. Yeah, and so yeah, they and they, are, they are now reconciled, and everything's now yeah. fine. And it, it's it's a whole uh, like B story that uh, yeah, I mean, you could lose it because it, it doesn't value the secondary characters. I think also like the the way Jojo is introduced is that he uh, so they introduced the nineteen sixty seven uh, Detroit riots. Yeah. Um, to which like there's a kid and then later a female gospel singer who was singing Let It Be mm-hmm. that I thought was in slightly poor taste right okay. <laughs> because it's like well okay because it's like well, let it, 
just uh, just let it be. Probably sort itself <laughs> out, you know. Just, uh, which, which fair for enough. Me, for me, is kind of the opposite of what the civil rights movement was about. That's absolutely fair. I think. Uh, yes, you're right. And but then he travels from Detroit um, to New York, where he m- meets everyone else after that. During um, uh, a sequence where Joe Cocker. Um, plays three different characters. One of him is a pimp. Right, right, right. Yeah, and he's singing. Uh, come together. Singing, come together, and yeah. that, that works very well, I think, yeah. because it's Joe Cocker singing it. Yeah, know, exactly. It's, yeah, it's, it's really fantastic to have him in the film. You know, that's a that's a really good moment. He he did stand out to me as someone who wasn't great at the the on camera performance part right. of it. You know, yeah. especially when he's done up in a pimp outfit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, like he looks like a bit of a, a um, goofy standout person that is is you know he looks like a cameo as opposed to someone who is um spoke who's there for legitimate reasons yeah yeah definitely but but the performance as in the, the singing performance is great of that song like his his cover of that he sings it's great yeah yeah absolutely uh we can that could maybe lead us on to discuss the other cameos in the film shall we reluctantly yeah go on go on what did you think of eddie Izzard? i uh i thought it would I thought he had a laugh with it, and it was fun. Uh, so Eddie is, is is there playing a kind of circus ringmaster, and he's singing, uh, being for the benefit of Mister Kite. But he's but he's more sort of talking it than he than he is singing it, and he's uh, and he's he's playing it up, and he's having fun with it. And it reminded me quite a lot of um, Russell Brand doing "I Am the Walrus" for the Olympic ceremony in 2012. Uh, I didn't I didn't hate that bit. But the, the point is that, th- that this and the other cameo that we're about to talk about <laughs> are, are part of a point in the film uh, that has no reason to exist whatsoever. Um, so it, it, what happens is uh, the gang, um, they um, they meet a guy called Dr. Robert. Um, they get on a bus with him. They go out to what I guess is California um, where, I think, is there some commune they're going to? They don't get in. Uh, Dr. Robert sings a song. Um, and then Eddie Izzard turns up and sings a song and then uh, the bus goes off and leaves a couple of the characters stranded and you think oh this is going to be a, a conflict that needs to be resolved nope uh, <laughs> th- 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 then they're just back in New York in the next scene that, I, I, that is all done with I, um, I read somewhere that that whole trip that whole journey um, was supposed to be them deciding to look for Prudence who had decided to run away that would have made right. some sense but yeah. I read that. Yeah. I definitely did not get that while I was watching that sequence. So I don't know right. how true that is. Okay. Um, it, either we both missed something that would be quite um, an important um, part of the narrative. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that gets equally easily lost. In a sequence um, which, which has to be said, plays very, very heavily into um, the psychedelia um, aspects of the 60s, and it makes sense that they would want to explore that. Um, but there were no drugs at all in that sequence. No, it, and it's implied by the 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 way that that sequence is shot and filmed with lots of you know hazy colours and um, sort of uh, you know soft focused uh, hazy drug experiences and stuff. Mm. But there's at no point are you actually at no point does the film go so far as to suggest that they've actually taken any drugs and. Um, nor is there any consequence of of that sort of no. druggy like experience that they've in, they've encountered. No, no. I mean, there is another sequence later on that is about a character taking drugs. Yes, which is dealt with very differently. But, but before we get there, yeah, let's discuss uh, the elephant in the room. Well, uh, uh, which... before, I, just, I do really just want to because I, I, I 
been mean to say this I really enjoyed Eddie Izzard's performance in it like, okay um, I agree with you in that there's no point to it there's yeah. no but I feel like at the point where he t- comes in I was actually it's really nice having a bit of light relief yes at that point. and yeah. I think that the way that he does perform uh, being for the benefit of Mr. Kite is actually really funny I feel like in a in a film where the songs are always used very earnestly mm. It's quite refreshing to have him come in and sing it like he's taking the piss out of the lyrics whilst he's singing them. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. like, the, the, the bit that really cracked me up was when he sings, um, uh, the Hendersons will all be there later, Pablo Franco Fair. Have you seen it? It's great. They've got stuff. Like, <laughs> yes, <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. and he's just constantly, like, adding these, like, ad-libbing nonsense to, to yeah, uh, the yeah. songs running through. And I just, yeah. I just thought, it's very, very, um, similar to, to his like you know how he is on stage and how his performances uh, mm. uh, as a stand-up is um, but yeah I, I really appreciate that I thought it was really funny yeah and it, but it actually I mean I think that uh, there are you, you do often get in musicals where kind of lesser characters will have like uh, they'll have a solo spot of their own and they end up being the highlights uh, yeah. quite a lot I mean to, to go back to We Will Rock You which I have seen <laughs> in the last week um, so there's a character in it called Khashoggi uh, who does not sing the Queen's song Khashoggi's Ship, which is not even featured in the thing. But anyway, <laughs> he gets it. So he's a kind of evil henchman guy, and he uh, and he sings, but he do, but the only one he gets to do on his own is where he sings Seven Seas of Rye on his own, mm-hmm. and it's brilliant. It's it, it's just it, and and he really really camps it up and makes the whole thing his own, and it's fantastic. And you end up thinking, yeah, that's a bit of a highlight of the whole thing. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah, sure. I, I yeah. can see that Ed, Eddie Izzard's thing is is. Meant to be doing that. He, he comes I, in for that one sequence and disappears again. Yeah, to be seen again. Yeah, and, yeah. And, but it, you know, I, I think in the context of the film, it works to have a sequence that is a little bit, po- a little bit like it's poking fun of the the format yes. uh, a little bit, which which is great because yeah. it comes immediately after Bono. Yeah. Now, what do we think of Bono as as Doctor Roberts? Uh. Okay, so the first thing I will say is that I thought the, the, act, the little bits of acting he has to do as opposed to singing mm. are, are quite good. Okay. He's actually not better. There are bits where... So uh, Dr. Robert seems to be this kind of um, Svengali figure, uh, one of these sort of uh, spiritual gurus who kind of cropped up throughout the 60s and everyone decides they're going to follow uh, and the whole thing turns out to be more about taking drugs and, and ha- having casual sex than... It was about any kind of spiritual enlightenment. That's the kind of character he's playing. Um, but the, the, yeah, there are bits where he has to sort of command a room, and he's sort of walking through it, and everyone's, you know, and he's, uh, and you know, and he's the centre of attention. He does yeah. that really well. Um, but it, it you, you can, and then he sings "I'm the Wars." Yeah, and there is no reason for him to sing "I'm the Wars." Yeah. Um, and uh, like, yeah, I mean, he does it fine. He's a, he's, he's a very good singer, Bono. You know, but I mean, I I, I think that that is a song. Um, it's sort of harking back to what we were talking about earlier on. I mean, that song because it's so nonsensical, mm. you, you would think could just be applied to any context. Um, but I find it's quite the opposite. Actually, I find it is so it is so specific to the Beatles and yes. to John Lennon in particular. Yeah. Having anyone else perform it just seems ludicrous and pointless in a way yeah you know? but but also uh, and I agree with you and I think what makes that worse is that because Bono is the the character singing that the whole 
there's a there becomes just a massive disconnect through the whole the whole part of the film I think mm. because Bono comes in you're very aware that you're watching Bono come yep. in to do a cameo right right, right. Yeah. Um, you're, I think you are right in that for a uh, a singer where acting isn't his sort of you know primary um, talent uh, he actually does very well in yep. the film in that respect um, but the 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 way he sings the song the 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 length of time that the song goes on for and the fact that the song is primarily nonsensical and and is is only really relevant as a Beatles song yes. in of itself yeah. just makes the entire 10 minutes or so of that part of the film just seem incredibly self-indulgent yeah yeah because it it is very very obvious that it is there because Bono said yes to this <laughs> that's the reason it's there yeah Judy Taymor directed this um, she's mostly obviously if everyone doesn't know who she is she's mostly remembered for uh, bringing Lion King to the stage mm-hmm. um, she went on to make Frida with Sama Hayek yep. Sama Hayek appears in the film during the Happiness is a Warm Gun sequence yep. with Max but I, I think of whenever I hear Julie Taymor, um, it's doing us such a disservice because we should get onto how brilliant uh, and how brilliantly spectacular some of the sequences mm, are in terms of yeah. choreography and, and um, visuals. Yeah. But when I think of the name Julie Taymor, I think of um, all of the news reports that came out when she was trying to direct the um, uh, doomed production of Spider-Man Into the Dark or, or was it was that her that was ah, her originally okay, and okay. and then she left the project and someone else ended up taking it into I think it must have been for like a year or so because it kept getting delayed didn't it because the actors were getting injured mm. but um, it didn't occur to me until way after I finished watching Across the Universe that obviously Bono and The Edge wrote the film for that the Spider-Man so she yeah. so she's obviously um well, you know, she, first of all, she'd worked with Sam Hayek and Frida and had brought her into this film, Across the Universe. She'd worked with Bono in this film and was, was working with him then on the Spider-Man was written. Yeah. Uh, just found, you know, I quite enjoy like having sort of connections between projects and things like that. So let's, let's talk something a bit more positively now. Um, and I say that knowing that I've got a few other negative points to bring towards the end of this. <laughs> um, having just talked about Judy Temple's direction. Uh, and her style in this film uh, I want to talk about some of the sequences and, and how some of them really stand out yeah. versus the others The I think it's quite interesting that the first few songs that appear in the film are uh, played like normal sequences in any musical Yeah, and then suddenly it gets to uh, the I Want You She's So Heavy um, sequence where, yeah. where Max um, uh, essentially goes in to, to what ends up becoming him getting conscripted into the Vietnam War mm. that scene is amazing yes. that whole sequence is incredible yeah, yeah. from um, the the actual I Want You poster coming out of the wall mm. um, to the whole thing where he gets systematically dehumanised and compartmentalised into boxes and mm. um, uh, and then ultimately like um, he gets stamped doesn't he like a piece of meat in Rats and Cling film at the end so like, yeah. really really um, visually um, fantastic to watch uh, but also there is uh, very clear symbolism throughout all of that that, that um, brings the whole um, song to life and the way that it's used I think is is fantastic I, I will say just to counterpoint that a little bit 
when it gets to the part in the song going back to what we were talking about at the start of this where um where you, you have to like find a um uh, a connection between what the characters are literally singing and what they're going through at the time mm. I feel like getting to the point where they sing she's so heavy whilst they're carrying a statue there's that the statue of liberty mm. is probably a little bit <laughs> reaching <laughs> yeah although I did think that bit where they're sort of yeah so there's a sort of metaphorical well the whole thing's metaphorical but yeah. they're, they're sort of once they get to Vietnam the idea is they're there to uh, deliver uh, American values to this communist country mm. and they are carrying the Statue of Liberty on their shoulders uh, into the the, uh, the jungle and the paddy fields which I think yeah, yeah. which I thought was really really well done I actually hadn't even noticed that they're singing She's So Heavy at that point it obviously makes total sense yeah yeah, yeah I mean for a song that has about three lines in it yes um, <laughs> they, they they use it very effectively I think there is, there is. I mean, there is so much going on visually in that sequence mm. that is fantastic. In particular, the bit with uh, so the the soldiers who are sort of choreographed, yeah. you know, and sort of leading him through this process of getting conscripted, and they all have like these sort of identical faces with like, yeah. these big, big chins. And I was sort of looking and thinking, they got a lot of actors who look similar, and it's like, no, no, there's, they're prosthetics, aren't they? And, and uh, yeah, uh, again, yeah. it's this whole it plays into this idea of, of them being dehumanized, as mm. becoming like identical. Um, soldier stuff which is fantastic yeah. I think the the set uh, the set design uh, and and the um, uh, I guess what they do with the the staging of that sequence in terms of having like revolving floor panels and mm. you know he, he initially starts that whole sequence on a conveyor belt and yeah. it's like a nice neat choreographed bit where he's being thrust down his conveyor belt does like a forward roll at some point whilst he's getting stripped of his clothes yeah. and uh, just absolutely, absolutely, yeah. That really um, took me uh, by surprise yeah. uh, in the in the best possible way. I do. I wondered. I was trying to make sense of, and I think when we talk about how the symbolism in that song is really clear, and I think it works really well. I think uh, some of the visuals that appear in some of the later sequences are a little bit harder to. Um, uh, decipher yeah um, but on the whole I wanted to say that I think it was quite interesting that that was the first song in the film that actually had takes on a sort of an element of its own this is where this film really goes off the deep end in terms of becoming a little bit more surreal with what it's doing and I was trying to work out why because up until that point there have been musical numbers that have been played relatively straight like I said before like they're, they're, they're played like any scene you'd have in any musical yeah so what is it at the story at that time where it makes sense for the film to suddenly go off on a bit more of a surreal um, tangent? So I, I haven't really reached a conclusion. I'm asking you the question as much as I'm, I'm sort of posing it. Um, I, uh, I don't even have any thoughts on this, but the only thing I can think of is that up until that sequence, um, it's the story has been about Jude and Lucy getting together. Mm-hmm. Just before that sequence is um, Max bursting into the bedroom and finding that uh, Jude and Lucy have spent the night together. Yeah. So you can almost separate the film out a little bit in that way, and that that, that is a sort of um, act one and act two. Kind of yeah, thing. exactly. Yeah. But it does feel still a little bit strange to me that it would then completely change tonally in terms of how the musical numbers are then treated throughout the rest of the film. Yeah, but but then I suppose that that probably quite closely mirrors how a lot of us think of the Beatles 
Mm. Black and white and then colour. Yeah, I suppose so. Yeah, that's a good you know, point. Yeah, like, yeah, 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 you're right. And also, like, how people... It is obviously much more nuanced than this. But, you know, pe- people do have the idea of, like... Uh, I don't really like the early stuff of the Beatles, you know. Mm. It's all just sort of pop songs for teenage girls. Yeah, that's fair. And yeah. They're, they're, they're bang wrong about that, obviously. <laughs> but, um, but, uh, but you know, th- there are a lot of people who feel that way. And actually, you know, the idea being 66, 67, there was a point at which they started to get interesting... And as I said earlier, I think um, it's, it's probably not just me. A lot of people do have this idea of the 60s as sort of being black and white up until 64, 65, and then yeah. bursting into Technicolor. Yeah. Um, and I wonder if it's kind of mirroring that. Um, what I would say, actually, is that, I, I mean, I thought, uh, you're, you're right that up until that point that uh, the sequences have been played a lot like any other musical, but one of the ones I thought was most successful that I thought was fantastic was the use of uh, It Won't Be Long. Yes, great, isn't it? Yeah. Which was early on. So Evan Rachel Wood at the time has another boyfriend who has gone off uh, to fight it. I guess it must be Vietnam. Yeah. Okay. yeah. I'm not quite sure of the timeline they're working on there, but I think the film maybe starts in about 65, something like that, maybe. Um, and so, yeah, she gets a letter from him which inspires her to, to break out into song of uh, yeah, of It Won't Be Long and it's got her s- sister and her friends doing the backing vocals there is mm. some brilliant choreography where she's sort of spending her day at school and they're all playing basketball and like she and a load of other girls are throwing basketballs to each other in these sort of crisscross patterns that are brilliantly well choreographed it also uh it, 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 it flips the lyric on its head quite near the end where she's in a classroom at the end of the day waiting for the bell to go and all her classmates uh, she's been singing it won't be long till my boyfriend comes back oh, yes. and yeah. then all her, all her classmates are singing the same line but meaning oh it won't be long till this lesson's done with yeah, yeah, they're yeah. all bored and I thought that was really really well done yeah yeah, uh, yeah. but yeah that was really I, I agree and, and, and don't get me wrong like, I, don't, I don't want to downplay like uh, how well those sequences are played out my favourite actually was I've just seen a face. Yeah, in the bowling yeah, alley. Yeah, the bowling alley. Yeah. And it's a great, it's a really, first of all, it's a brilliant upbeat song to have in the film anyway. Yeah. This is not one of the, the bigger known songs, I yeah, think, to include yeah, yeah. in it. But, um, but yeah, the, the, the way that um, uh, Jim Sturgis sings that song uh, with a lot of energy um, and then they end up all sort of bowling themselves down the alleyway and mm. it's very sort of like neatly like there's a bit in the song where it suddenly changes to these like cool light, uh, a really coolly lit scene lots of like different like tones and stuff yeah um yeah that's that's that to me as well i just think that again they're they're sort of they become fantasy sequences that uh are used in a way that a lot of musicals use their their their, their numbers hmm. um but then we get into uh I, I you know i want you she's so heavy and the songs all of them after that point i think maybe not towards the end actually but most of the songs until right at the very end, um, they they have a lot more sort of visual uh, business about them. There, there is there's one. Um, what's what's the song? Um, I can't remember what song it comes at the end of now, which is really bad of me. It might be even for the benefit of Mister Kite, where um, it ends with the uh, almost like water nymphs on on plinths in the sea. And yes, you're right. Um, uh, and they're wearing masks, and they fall backwards in the sea. And you just have this like lingering shot at the end of the song finishes of like them floating in the sea with their masks having come off their faces. And yes, stuff. that's great. It's and because I, I think. Oh, is it? Oh, it is because, because you're right. Yeah. Yeah, 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 which I think was 
brilliant yeah. but I haven't been like I don't know why that's that's there <laughs> like well, it no, looks great but yeah, but, yeah, but you're right yeah I mean because I think yeah so if I think about it now the only reason uh, it, so it uh, because it's uh, there it's a load of them lying in a field yes and yeah. they're kind of singing because to each other and then some psychedelic stuff happens and that's broadly it so you know I mean I've been you know, I've uh, uh, been critical up till now of the idea that the, the Bono and Eddie Izzard sequences don't need to exist. Mm. There's no narrative reason for them to be there. But you know, it hadn't even occurred to me that the same thing was true of because because I yeah. enjoyed that sequence. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. I mean, true. It, it is it's suspension of disbelief. Um, I should say as well about the singing um, that when you're talking about you know the way Jim Sturgis sang that song, um, it is. So I I wasn't sure. Um, whether this was sort of session singers uh, singing this and they were kind of lip syncing to it if you if you go uh, listen to the soundtrack album a couple of times on Spotify and mm. these songs are credited to the actors apparently I did read again somewhere uh, that um, a lot of the singing you hear in the film is done live right okay um, yeah I think uh, there's it, there's a nice tone to it it does have that weird sound of the singing is, is auto-tuned you can tell and I don't say that to criticise anyone's singing uh, I'm not saying that it was auto-tuned because they were bad singers, but it does have that effect of. You remember watching Glee, yes. um, and when the um, all those songs, the, the singing was kind of too perfect in a way. Do you know? Yeah. Like they hit, when they hit high notes, it was it was too pure, and they and you could just tell there was auto-tune in there, um, and it, it's kind of the same with a lot of these. Even on one of the ones, Bono said, because he sings "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds" over the end. It does, yeah. There's a bit of auto tune in that, and I I was, and by that point, I thought, I mean, Bono obviously doesn't need auto tune, Um, but I thought, oh, maybe by this point they were thinking, well, this is the 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 consistent signature sound of yeah. There's like a production. I I think you'll probably find it's like a sound engineer sort of creating a consistent yeah right yeah like a consistent tone or or process sound to it. Yeah, yeah. Talking about the actual singing performances of of. Uh, the cast one of my favourite things uh, in the film I, and favourite because it made me cringe a little bit mm-hmm. but I think it, I guess it kind of works to serve the film is when at the start uh, Jim Sturgis as Jude um, not right at the start early on in the film uh, sings All My Loving to his then girlfriend Molly yeah. and, he's, and he sings it like um, close your eyes and I'll kiss you Kiss you. <laughs> yeah, 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 tomorrow I'll yeah, miss you. Yeah, because yeah, 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 he's he's doing it with an, uh, a deliberately adopted adoptive accent to it, but it's yeah, like yeah. that's not how it's sung, so it stands out like a yeah. lot, like sort of. Yeah, yeah, but I suppose there's a there's sort of roughness uh, to the character they're trying to get across. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And like I say, it works. It serves the film, but like yeah, because yeah, you yeah. know that that's not how it's pronounced in the song in the original mm-hmm. song, it like. There's, there's not a single person who's, who's listening to that and not noticing it right yeah you know, which again like it's just I don't know, just a you know no, it's, not, it's not a bad point it's just um, yeah, uh, yeah. it's made me uh, made me take notice a bit more what, one thing that really st- stood out to me Sorry, I know. So we've just, we've just done positive stuff. I know. So here's a here's a here's a negative one again. All right, um, that um, one of the things about musicals and romantic comedies and things like that is that the uh, the couple. Uh, it sounds odd, but it, it isn't. It is usually not enough for the two of them just to fall in love because that's not particularly satisfying. 
Um, I mean, you know, you've been in love. It's rubbish, isn't it? It's not satisfying at all. Absolute waste of time. You know? I'm uh, happily married. I'll have you know, but sure. <laughs> but um, just the, in case my wife's listening to this, <laughs> she won't. No, she doesn't. <laughs> and, and why would she? <laughs> she has to listen to this stuff at home. <laughs> You're right. But um, uh, but it's so generally speaking, what tends to happen is that the characters are by falling in love overcoming some kind of character flaw that they have not necessarily a flaw some kind of character trait so for male characters it's quite often uh an immaturity or uh an unwillingness to commit that kind of thing female characters it's quite often uh so you think of sort of like meg ryan in uh, when harry met sally her sort of fastidiousness and her obsessiveness um that uh, that in in coming together it's not just that they fall in love; it's that they help each other to overcome these yes. uh, these traits, and they and they sort of complete each other in that sense. Um, one helps the the other with that thing. Um, Jude and Lucy don't have that at all. No, no. They, they are just a man and woman who meet and fall in love, and then he gets a bit jealous of the guy who he he um, he thinks she's spending too much time with. And then, uh, and then, sort of gets over it, and they get back together. Yeah, um, doesn't even get over it. Or, or, I mean, he does get over it, but like, there's no, there's no like catalyst for him getting over that. Other than um, there's a there's a moment where he reads a new story, and he he, you know, it basically uh, a bomb has gone off um, and uh, killed people from her from a protest mm. um, group. Yeah, and um, and he reads that in a uh, newspaper, and it's like he realises that he's uh, wants to make sure that she's okay right? yeah, yeah, and, and yeah. at that point the, the jealousy thing and the, the what came before them has gone away Yeah, like, it's not like he's not has actively got over it, he hasn't learned a lesson from being a jealous person and what that means. No you're right, you're right all that's happened is he's been deported Yes, and so he's back in Liverpool, he reads that news story and so because of that he decides to go back to the country yeah it is, so it's interesting that having been deported, he just had to choose to go back. There. Yeah, and that was that was the thing that kept him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 It was right. it's quite easy obstacle to overcome. It seems right, right. He could have just got the boat straight back as soon as he got, <laughs> got back. Yeah, exactly. He would have been like, Didn't oh, even. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, dude, no, not seen you for a few hours. Come on <laughs> yeah. in. Um, but yeah, they're, they're not. Um, so the, the sort of obvious way to do it in a film like this would be uh, Jude is a sort of he's an overtly working class character, yes, which is played up quite a lot in the early scenes when he's in Liverpool. But What's the song that they sing where they they deliberately have uh, her in like a sort of a high school dance style setting um, with a band playing it and. He's in what is set basically, which I think is actually the cavern. Club. The cavern, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's and it's a bit more rocky, and his and and that very very quickly, immediately within the first few scenes of the film, establishes their class divide. Yeah, it does, and yeah, I and then nothing is made of that, like for the rest of the movie. No, exactly, and I think those that that would be you know that's his background. Her background is sort of more more middle class, you can tell. Mm. Um, so yeah, that that would usually be the thing that would be what they each need to get over, right? Yes, he's got yes. a chip on his shoulder. She's a bit snobbish, whatever. Um, and and, and they learn to sort of uh, help each other out with those personality traits through falling in love. But there isn't any of that. No, really. they just they just sort of fall in love, you know. I'd I'd go even further than that and um, and say that their their whole uh, the way their their relationship. Um, throughout the whole film is depicted doesn't have any real emotional moment to it attached at all mm. um, I'm thinking 
they they get together so they they've they've spent some time together they've obviously fallen for each other during the time where they're just hanging out with max and other friends Mm -hmm. when they actually get together um it's um lucy evan rachel would sing if i fell yeah they're at a party she's watching jude chat to other girls and and she's basically singing about um I guess you know taking the, the the lyrics of "If I Fell" into account. She's singing like you know if if she were to take that risk with him, um, would he treat her like any other girl, or would it be the real thing kind of thing? Yeah. Um, which is a you know a good song to sing at that moment and yeah. and sort of rings true for the emotion uh, of that scene. But what actually happens is she's singing it whilst watching him talk to other girls. Yeah, and then suddenly they're together and kissing. Right, and you don't get that moment where, you know, how did that come about? How did they decide to do that? You don't get that tension, that romantic tension between the two of them. Yeah, in order to be invested in them as a relationship. Yeah, um, to begin with, yeah. and at the and at the end of the film, um, the very last scene, the, the, what should be the big reconcile reconciliation moment, is him singing um, "All You Need Is Love" on the rooftop, and she. Uh, recognises him singing it um, can't get up to the same rooftop so she very cleverly um, <laughs> very cleverly in inverted commas um, uh, realises that she could just climb onto the rooftop opposite and see him from there and they see each other yep. and they realise that having having split up uh, having broken up uh, they're still in love with each other and, and, and they're looking at each other credits hmm Yep. But, but but you don't there's no you don't actually get the the moment of them properly reconciling you don't get the hug you don't get the yeah. you know the, the the physical interaction between the two of them where you get the you know in that moment they have realized that they've overcome that difficulty they had and they are now together and right, at right, that right. moment it's literally a freeze frame on her face yes. smiling at him from across the street yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, what that made me realize was that the film relies so much on uh, the em- emotion in the songs that it, it it makes that do all the heavy lifting throughout the whole film. Mm. So you have scenes where you've got like, God, like you've got this amazing sequence where you've got Jojo um, playing uh, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, mm. which is such obviously a beautiful song to have. Um, and that is a song that plays whilst they're both lamenting their relationships Jojo and Judah lamenting their relationships yeah. the relationships themselves haven't earned the emotion in that song yeah. they're, they're using the great songwriting um, as, a, as a proxy yeah. for the audience to feel that mm. but it hasn't earned it in any other way at all it's almost like you're stealing you know, the, um, the, the hard work that the Beatles have put into those songs yeah. And then, and then basically pretending like that's part of the hard work you've done yourself in the film, but you haven't done any of that hard work. Right, yeah. It's a, it, it's a, Well, I mean, it, it, again, the songs are a sort of narrative shorthand, obviously, but I mean, what... Um, I suppose that kind of points out the limitations of uh, portraying uh, a very nuanced thing, like dealing with uh, an absent loved one or a breakup of a relationship or falling in love with someone. Dealing with a very complex and nuanced thing through a song to illustrate it so mm-hmm. yeah when they fall in love uh, Jude 
notices her, or they it's sort of the bowling alley for I've just seen a face. Yeah, that's when yeah. he's like, I've just seen a face. I've fallen yes. in love at first sight, and then she comes to accept it with if I fail at the party. Um, uh, but it, so yeah, and that and that is all as far as a jukebox musical is concerned. Yeah. That is now done. Yeah, they, they are now in love. You know, so there's no so. It, it, it's a shorthand for the whole thing um, but what you might have in that scene or what 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 how sometimes that happens in other musicals is that you have a coming together of in, in so if you take the if I fell sequence for example mm-hmm. that is Lucy singing that about Jude and then whilst that song is playing they are suddenly kissing yeah and there isn't a uh, an active um moment of collaboration between them that makes that makes us feel invested in that that moment no I agree you know and what often happens in, in how other musicals would do that is that it would become a duet right you see you see yeah. she'd sing one verse he'd sing the other verse you realise they're both talking about the same thing and together they you know during the chorus they're, they're, they're suddenly singing the words together and yeah. then they kiss, right? Right, right, right. But it's but that's not. It's just a it's a completely one sided thing and then they they just um Yeah getting on with it. They should have done it with uh I've got a feeling that, that would have done I've it. got a feeling, yeah. I've got a feeling feeling deep inside. Then she could be like, Everybody had a hard year, everybody had a wet dream and that that would have conveyed. We can it. work it out. That does right? make more sense. Is it though. yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> Life is very short. That there's a yeah. Well, I don't know. Maybe not. That's fine. That would be a really obvious song to include in this. Surely. But you know I mean, what? It's only just occurred to me because that thing I was saying earlier about you know there's always like an argument or reconciliation yeah. song in these musicals. Why isn't we can we can work it's it out just, in there? So so I again I, I read that um, that how Julie Taymor approached the film is that she decided to uh, go through the Beatles catalogue and handpicked. I think it was a total of 33 songs that she felt she could build a story around, mm. which is obviously a reason, you know, a perfectly reasonable way to, to, to create a film like this, yeah. right? You know, you've got, but you're right. That is, that, that's a, you know, I'm, I'm sure, you know, putting ourselves on the spot here, but we could probably go away and, and find 10 songs that don't exist in this movie mm. that lend themselves very well to a film like this because they are, Either creating conflict or resolving conflict, or or um, right, you know, everybody's got something to hide except me and my monkey. <laughs> <laughs> Job yeah. done. Well, they managed to fit. Why don't we just do it in the roads in the film? So I don't see why I can't fit that in there. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Um, someone could have had a birthday. It could have been right. You know, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, I feel like we, we we we've covered everything. The one thing that I didn't, I wanted to mention um, that that we haven't touched on is, um, hey. You remember that Jude went to New York in the first place to track down his dad? Right, yeah. And then that never gets mentioned again for the rest of the film until his dad picks him up from prison and then it never gets mentioned again in the film? Yeah, I was yeah. Saying, because yeah, when, when he gets there and he meets his dad, who is now working as a janitor at Harvard or Yale, one of them. Yeah, um, I think it's Harvard. And um, he, so it turns out his dad's got his mum pregnant in Liverpool when he was over there during the war. And so you think, oh, this is going to be the crux of it, like yeah. trying to win his dad's approval yeah. or whatever it is, or you know, him reconciling with him. But no, that, that's actually just the narrative reason to get him to yeah. New York in the first place and also there's not even any real payoff with a song with that like I don't understand uh, I don't actually understand why that's part of the film at all like I guess you know there's a there's a there's the idea that it plays into his um, working 
class character with a chip on his shoulder kind of the kind of thing yeah but it's not even like they've constructed that part of the plot around a song so it doesn't pay off in any narrative sense it doesn't pay off in any musical sense mm. just I don't know just it, by the time he, by the time he's by the time Jude goes to prison uh, and his dad picks up again I was like oh yeah that was why he was there in the first place <laughs> I didn't even know about that um yeah, it's just, it's just you know another example, I guess, of, of how the film kind of just underserves its characters completely, in yeah, uh, in favour of, um, of of you know just having lots of fun with Beatles songs, right? And uh, which which is enough, which, by the way, yeah, like, which is enough. Yes, yeah, I mean, I should point out, just I did enjoy watching the film. Yeah, I did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> See, this is the, this is the problem with uh, with with having reviewed films on and off for about ten years. Yes, is that. Um, it's a lot easier. Like we we haven't trashed this film by any any stretch, I don't think. But it, it yeah. It, it, but it, it naturally you will pick out its flaws. Brought I I enjoyed watching it. I thought bits of it were absolutely brilliant. You know, uh, bits of it don't work at all. But um, you know, I, th- I think I think it's it's definitely it's always a lot easier to pick out what's wrong with a film than it is to to talk about what's right with the film. It's a lot easier to to define um, the negative points than it is the positive points. Yeah. I think that. Um, we haven't nearly gone enough into um, how visually spectacular the film is, um, which is its absolutely its key selling point. Yeah. Um, in terms of watching it, I think it's it's fascinating uh, and beautiful, and often quite glorious to to watch. Yeah. Um, in a way that I don't think many other films match it, um, yeah. musical otherwise. I, I think it's got a very unique sense of style and unique sense of visual style. Uh, which is all down to Julie Taymor. Yeah. Um, and I'm now hoping that me having said all of that sort of corrects the fact that we've kind of overlooked is is its biggest <laughs> its biggest selling point. Yeah. Um, whilst discussing it... why uh, the film was otherwise <laughs> a disappointment. Yeah. I th- it, it, edit everything out at the last minute. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and just put that out. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That sounds good. Uh, well, okay. Well, whether or not you have listened to um, a, a podcast that has run for nearly an hour, uh, or whether you've listened to just a minute of it, thank you so much for sticking with us and for for listening. Please follow us on all of our social media platforms. We are at Beatles Films Pod on most of those. Uh, please like and subscribe our podcast. Why not leave us a review? Tell us we're great. Um, apparently, that helps our, our podcast do well. Um, so we'd appreciate that. Either way, we'll see you for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Bye. Bye. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.